going to read, just read the book of Exodus tonight. You can go through there. How about that? Exodus 28, just two verses. I meant to cancel services tonight. I forgot it was Super Bowl Sunday. I think that's what you're supposed to do on this day. Although I did appreciate one year, one of you here, I don't, I, I, you know, I, one of you, uh, it was pretty humorous. One of you was listening to the game and your little earpiece came out. We all heard it. <laughs> that was very humorous. I did, I did enjoy that. Um, Exodus chapter 28. Just two verses here. I'm just going to spring, use this as a springboard into the message um, tonight. And I've used this. This is an interesting text here. I've used this at different times as a springboard when it fits, just because I, I find it interesting what the Lord did with the high priest's garment. And so it fit with this tonight a little bit. I'm making it fit a little bit. But it'll, it, it'll go with the topical message well. Exodus chapter 28, uh, verses 34 and 35. It is, it is describing... Um, the high priest's garment that was to be made. And it says this, A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, upon the hem of the robe round about. So why did it want this? Um, And it shall be upon Aaron to minister, and his sound shall be heard when he goeth in and when he cometh out, that he die not. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, uh, we love you. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I ask your blessing upon the message tonight. Lord, I pray that it would be a reminder to us and stir us to a, a stronger walk with you, to be a help. Lord, to be careful of those things that might begin to steal our spiritual life and our spiritual walk with you. So, Lord, use this to be a blessing and a help. Please control what I say and how I say it. May you be glorified and honored, Lord. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, when the high priest here, uh, as it was letting us know, it, the pomegranate and this bell, they would clang together as he walked, and it would make noise, a, a jingling sound as he moved. And the reason why the Lord needed this on here was because of when he would go into the holy place, um, that once a year, when he was routed, allowed into that most holy place right there, he would go in, there would be a rope around his waist coming outside, that other priests were on the other side of that rope, all right? And so they would go in and they could hear him ministering inside there. As they did the, the, the once a year, he was allowed, they could hear the jingling taking place. The reason for the rope was this. If the jingling stopped, know what they knew? He was dead. They can't go get him. You're not allowed in there. The rope was to pull his body out. And well, why would he die? Because if he went in there and something wasn't right because of the importance of what was taking place, how it represented the, the very presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant is there, uh, the mercy seat, that if he, something wasn't right, the Lord would kill the high priest, and then they would be able to pull the body out. So if something was not right in his life spiritually, he's not, we're not talking dying of a heart attack here or anything of the sort, why he's going to die, the Lord would simply kill him if something wasn't right spiritually with his life. And so, the other priest knew by hearing those bells ringing. So the question then is, do others hear your bells ringing? Do they recognize their spiritual life in you? Or is there a problem? Is there a problem where others cannot even tell that spiritually you're alive? When I was a boy, I'm going to get a, a tad bit carnal here. Again, I, I was not saved yet. We watch television a lot. And if you noticed, uh, at least I noticed, because I watch a lot, uh, th- th- all the different shows that demonstrated who solved crimes, it was always somebody different. Like, 
the Hardy Boys, it was the teenager solvent, or it was a detective, um, or it would have been, you know, the forensic people, or it would have been the lawyer. Um, but one of my favorite ones when I was little, like six, seven years old, was the guy who did the autopsies, Quincy. He was the one who solved the crimes in that one. Yeah, <laughs> yes, you know what I'm talking about. You've been there. And I was just, I was just small at the time, but it amazed me. And then... When I got to 8th grade, I'll never forget, I still remember that film just being in shock. 8th grade. So what are you, 14 in 8th grade, I think it is? 14 years old in 8th grade. And they showed us an autopsy. I was, wow. I still remember the lung coming out because the guy was a smoker. I was not going to smoke after that. It worked great. To see really how nasty that thing looked, I was like, oh my goodness. And they actually showed us an autopsy. It was, it was on video. It was not, we were not in the room. Um, and, uh, but they showed us an autopsy taking place. And so why do they do an autopsy? They have to determine what killed the person. All right? So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to do an autopsy. Steve, come on up, buddy. <laughs> you got problems anyhow. That little boy has a crush on your wife. I saw him waving her and everything else. <laughs> So we're going to do an autopsy tonight on what's going on in the life of a Christian who's dead or who others can't tell that there's life there. <laughs> All right, so let's get into this autopsy. The first thing we're going to get to is the heart. The autopsy is going to reveal when there's no, no spiritual life, no strong Christian life present, um, that the heart definitely had issues. Look at Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So if there's a spiritual problem and others can't even tell that you're spiritually alive, we have to start at the heart. There's heart issues in your life. This is the first matter. I was only to preach one point of this. This would be the point to preach because it all comes back to the heart. You have to protect it. You have to guard it because out of it are the issues of life. This is the depository of, you, of our wisdom, our source of what affects our character. This is, this is key. And if there's something wrong spiritually, you're going to notice trouble with the heart. And the wording here, by the way, implies in Proverbs 4.23, uh, Proverbs 4.23 it's strong. It implies to guard above all else. To guard above all else. Out of our heart are the issues of life. It almost gives the idea here, especially knowing how they got water, which was a source of life. Out of it was coming life for a well. Especially if different issues were taking place within a, within a community where enemies were close by. But one of the most well-guarded places would be the well. That had to be protected. That had to be protected. I mean, that, that's what that community was dependent upon for life. It's almost giving the, the, that, that imagery here with this verse to protect us, to protect your heart and understanding how important it is. But many times, we leave our heart wide open. We don't put things in place to protect it. <clears throat> Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 14. This morning I was talking about Solomon. Look at his son. Look what happened. Look what the Bible says about his son. 2 Chronicles chapter 12.
Now, we know Rehoboam, as I mentioned, things did not go well for him. Um, and let me back. Let me see if I want to go to another verse. I'm trying to think. <clears throat> well, I'll just stay with this verse. One verse here. Verse number 14. Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse number 14. Speaking of him, Rehoboam, and he did evil. Why? Because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. What started with him, what killed his spiritual life, started in his heart. And I'll get back to more preparations of the heart, because our hearts do need to be prepared. And you have to ask yourself the question tonight, what is your heart actually prepared for? So as we continue the autopsy of the heart, here's what we're going to find. Look at Proverbs chapter 28. So we have the heart of a Christian who is struggling. There's just no life there. This will be one thing we find immediately as we look at the heart. Verse 14. Happy is the man that feareth always. But, but what's going to lead to that not taking place? Notice the punctuation. But he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. We're going to notice the heart is hard. It's difficult. It's stubborn. It will not respond to God's touch on it. It will not respond to God's word. Stubbornness and rebellion has set in it. It doesn't want to respond. It's difficult. It's tough. It's hard. It's hard to the preaching of the word of God. Where preaching has no effect anymore. There's no stirring. There's not, the rest of that grace is too hard. So what, was, what God had designed through his plan to begin to generate and begin to work on your heart to encourage, to help, to convict, to reprove, to rebuke, now is hardened. It can't get through. The heart's too hard. There's a hardness to the preaching. This will begin to attack your spiritual life immediately. So we find that the heart is hardened. It needs to be softened. Not only is the heart hard, but we know from Hebrews 3, for time's sake, I'm, I'm not going to turn. I do have a lot of verses just being a topical tonight. But in Hebrews 3.12, the heart lacks faith. Unbelief. A heart of unbelief it talks about there in Hebrews chapter 3. We walk by faith. But a heart that is, that is struggling spiritually, where there's no evidence of life spiritually, it, it, it comes down to where the heart is struggling with the concept of faith. Of knowing God is there and God is in control. It's not that the head knowledge isn't there. It's that the life isn't responding and walking by faith in that truth and in that knowledge. The Christian life is lived by faith. And if you're not living by faith, I guarantee you, there's no evidence of spiritual life. Faith is, is really how others, especially the lost, begin to see we have spiritual life. Just like right now, with the direction of the world, of our nation, you know what helps us stand out? Faith. That God is in control. Faith. It's as if we, we just completely forget God is in control. It's okay. but a heart will lack faith. The hard heart that is struggling spiritually will begin to live by circumstances alone based on what's going on. Thus, 
destroying any evidence of spiritual life. The bells aren't ringing. The bells aren't ringing. We also find out, and this is through several verses, about half-heartedness. Only half the heart is even trying to work. The other half is shut down. It's when it comes to the Christian service, when it comes to spiritual things, it's not a whole heart. It's more out of obligation. Half heart is involved. All right, this is what I'm supposed to do. Let's go to church. Yay! Half-heartedness. Half-heartedness in your Christian service will lead to a dead Christian life. You need a bypass done. Bypassing doubt, bypassing hardness. Evidence of a healthy heart is given to us in Scripture. Look at Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah 32. I remember when I was in New Mexico, I referred to him many times. I was 19 years old when I got to New Mexico, I believe. I just entered the Air Force, finished all my training, all my schooling to get to my first assignment. There was a civilian there who was retired in my career, a field named Mr. Hughes. And uh, um, he's, he's, he's still alive. We've, we've even had some contact since I've been out of the Air Force. Even when I was on debutation, actually, we met up once when I was on debutation. And uh, little, does, little does he know, he might realize, I think I have told him since, that even though he is, he is lost, he was very devout. He was a UPC, if you know what a UPC is, a United Pentecostal. That's different than just a regular Pentecostal. United Pentecostals are, are I'm not trying to be mean, but it's almost cultish. They deny, they're the oneness group. They, they do not believe in the Trinity. They have a lot of, lot of, uh, of, of off doctrines. They believe that the speaking in tongues that had developed through the charismatic movement since the year 1900 is essential to salvation, that you will go to hell without it. And that's just one of many of their false doctrines. And so, and so what he calls me, calls me to do at 19 years old was dive into my Bible. He was the first one since I had been saved that told me straight up, no, you're going to hell. You're going to hell because I was baptized in, I don't have time to explain all this. He said, you were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Is that right? He said, yes, you're on your way to hell. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? And he went on with several other reasons why I would go to hell. And so and what I realized is I need to get in the Bible. I, I could not refute what he was telling me. And so as, as, as about a year or two went on, though, I became much more capable in discussing things with him from a scriptural standpoint. I did. I would come home from work when we had discussions and get down, get in the Bible, get a concourse. The Internet didn't exist then, of course. And uh, getting cohorts, getting different things, trying to find any books I could go to the library, begin researching those things in the Bible to say, all right, what does the Bible teach on this? Because one thing that was good, even though I was in a Baptist church in time, I didn't come up Baptist. If I thought, well, if I'm wrong, I, I need to know. I need to know why I believe what I believe in. It better be here. And so I started studying things, and one of the things we got into was this issue of tongues. Prior to this, I really didn't know much about it. And then I began to dive into it for the first time. And I remember one of our discussions, the reason why I bring it up now is, as I was beginning to challenge him about what it actually is, he actually went to the text that I read this morning for tongues. And because he tried to tell me, no, no, it was in the Old Testament. I'm like, show me. Because I showed him where it was in the Old Testament from a demonic source, not from God, in the mutterings and whatnot. 
And so he goes to this verse at the bell and a pomegranate. And he goes, he said to me one day, I remember we're sitting in a, I still remember the exact place we were sitting, we had this conversation. And so he said, it was a bell there, wasn't it? And he said, a bell has a what? What's the thing in the bell called? And I said, really, I don't know, a, a, a flipper thing? He said, it's called a tongue. And I said, wait, 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 wait. That, that's why this is tongues? Because you call that bell thing a tongue right there? And I had to remind him, do you know what made that little thing ring? wasn't a tongue. It was the pomegranate that was next to it. Ding, 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 as it knocked against that little brass thing. That's what was taking place right there. I don't, I, I'm on a tangent. Where am I? I don't know where I'm at even. Oh, uh, yeah. Jeremiah 32. You're returning there. Wow. That is a really bad rabbit trail. Um, Verse number 40. He said, And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. The fear of the Lord is key in your heart if you're going to maintain spiritual life. In awe of God. A respect, a fear of the Lord. A fear of God we know from different verses. I'm not going to turn that brings wisdom and helps direct decisions in our life. That we operate from, from a, a viewpoint where even though we believe in God, again, we don't, we don't a- actually live as atheists, as practical atheists. We respond because God is there. There's a fear of the Lord that directs. That's what helps going to lead to spiritual life. So we're going to see evidence of a healthy heart is a heart that has a fear of God that is in place. We also see in Psalm 119, and I'll I'll turn there, in 161, I believe it refers to being in awe, let me make make sure there, in awe of God's word. Yes, princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. A a heart that is going to be healthy and strong when you look at it is going to be a heart that stands in awe of of the Word of God. It's going to have respect for the Word of God. It's going to want it. It's going to be amazed by the Word of God. That's true. I mean, I could think when different things that have produced awe in my life. Again, I've mentioned some of them before. My, my favorite thing still to this day is, of course, looking at the stars. It's just so incredible. That's the only... I love the daylight here all the time. By the way, we have a hundred and... <laughs> trying to head it down exactly... Uh, yeah, you don't want me to say. I think we have like 132 days until we start losing daylight. Wow, are you flat tonight? No, I got nothing. Nothing going on here. We could just pray and go home, I guess. Hey, did you say who said amen to that? I'm, wow. <laughs> so anyhow, but during the daylight, the only thing that I do miss—I love all the daylight—is the ability to have a really dark night. Where it's warm out. Where it's warm out. Alright? And you can look up into the sky at night. And just be amazed. Those, there, there's a few here right now that had come to New Guinea on trips. And one of the reasons why I think that one of the blessings the Lord gave me, knowing, I think about this, I have liked that since I've been a small boy. It's one of the things I believe that brought me to Christ was just my awe of creation and looking at space. And then I get to spend 12 years, I'm not kidding, you can research this, look up different science things. The very island I was on, New Ireland, is thought to be one of the best places on the entire planet. It's equatorial, that you can view stars at night. And the groups that would come in, at times I'd stop on the road on the way back. It'd be just pitch black. There's no street lights or anything like that. I'd have to get out of the car, and I'd have them shut their eyes and just look down. Shut their eyes, 
so their eyes are getting used to a, a deeper darkness. So when they open them, it's going to be able to, look, to gather more light, if you will. And then I say, open your eyes and look up. Just, yes, you, you've done it. You were there for that. Just seeing all the stars that would come into it. I mean, it's incredible. It gives you awe. Well, the same thing at times we should be in awe of is God's Word. I mean, think of it. The 66 books he's put together. For us. This canon of Scripture. All the truth that is here giving us what we need. It's amazing. A heart that is healthy will have a a respect for God's Word. And then look at Ezra chapter 7. The book of Ezra. Ezra, again, is one of my... He's a man I have great respect for in the Word of God. He had a very challenging task. And this is another indication of a healthy heart. This is essential to having a healthy heart. I referred to it once earlier. Look at Ezra 7.10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. And to teach Israel and statutes and judgments. That's the order it goes in right there, by the way. That's how that takes place. A a, a healthy heart is a heart that is prepared to seek God. Please, I, I say this all the time and it's so true. Your spiritual battles are won before they're ever fought. It's in the preparation time. It's in those times that you have your heart prepared and ready for battle. It's too late if you're preparing for the battle when it hits. When I was in the Air Force, we always did the exercise, especially when I went to Korea. Military exercises were all the time. They didn't want to wait until the battle started for that to take place for us. To know what it's like to have to get into full chemical gear and try and work and try and respond. Or how to respond when different things and chaos is taking place. So they tried as best they could to, to simulate that. When it comes to our spiritual life, there's a preparation in our heart that is prepared to seek God and to do it. A healthy heart needs that. You've got to get your heart in shape. So we look at the heart. As we go through the autopsy, we're done looking at the heart now. We're going to the second thing we're going to look at. As we look at the overall condition of the body of a dead Christian, we notice something becomes very obvious. Malnutrition. Starvation setting in. We know, as Christ said in Deuteronomy chapter 8, says, Man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. There was was a lack of God's word feeding that soul. It wasn't what it should have been. You know, too often, instead of feasting on the word of God, what we do is it's a breath mint. It's a breath mint in the morning before we head out. Pop. Okay, I'm good. We don't feast on it. You try surviving on a breath mint all this week. Let's, let's do that. Only thing you can eat all this week is a breath mint. That'll be good for some of you, by the way. Just kidding. I, I don't really like that. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but, what, but what prevents it, I should not preach when I'm tired. I do know that. <laughs> In Ezekiel chapter 2, the Lord instructed him. It was a role that was coming. This is, I'm taking a practical application of what was taken there. And he told them, you have to eat this, what I'm giving you, is what he said. 
He had the, the scroll was coming, he said, you eat this. A lot of times our problem with the Word of God, why we have malnutrition with it, is because we don't eat what's given. We choose what we want to. We select it. We select, I'll eat that, but I'm not touching that. Just like you put macaroni and cheese on my plate, I'm not eating it. Bob Sykes, he's not even here right now, but he tried to get me to eat macaroni and cheese in a good way. He wasn't trying to trick me. He baked it in Doritos. He baked it in Doritos and gave it to me. He said, here, try this. Did I try it? No. <laughs> Why ruin a perfectly good bag of Doritos? But we like to pick and choose. We like our Burger King religion. We don't want it all as is. What, what we agree with, we'll take, but what we don't. And that just leads to malnutrition in your life. You're missing those key essential vitamins that the Word of God is to give you that you have chosen to reject. Job, in Job 23, 12, one of my favorite verses in that book is where uh, um, Job had talked about how he esteemed God's word more than his necessary food. I mean, he, and, and think of how that carried his spiritual life through. Not only when things were great and, 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 and the respect he had, the wisdom he had, people knew that's a man that has it together. When finally everything fell apart. He was so strong. You want to know why? Because he esteemed God's word more than his necessary food. He understood the importance of it in his life. Don't treat God's word as a token. Treat it as a treasure. <clears throat> when you begin to live by God's word, you begin to realize it's important. It's importance in your life. Allow it to control you instead of your phone. We know from Psalm chapter 1, a popular psalm, it's God's word that will allow us to flourish and grow. To be like a tree that's planted by those rivers of water. That can produce that fruit. God's word has to be in that proper place in your life. To meditate upon it. To listen to the preaching. Allowing your spiritual life to begin to flourish so that the bells are ringing. And then lastly here this evening, as we look at the autopsy, we notice one part of the body that's really strong. looks okay. There's no evidence of damage. There's no evidence of use for that matter. And that's the knees. The knees are in great condition because there's no praying. There's no praying being done. If you want those bells to be ringing, boy, that prayer life has to be important to you. You have to be faithful to that thing. Perhaps the Christian life is dead because the person is filled with worry instead of following Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds. But maybe that's what's killing the spiritual life. And it's prayer and realizing, it's not just saying words. It's not the motion of prayer that does anything. If you think that, you're wrong. You're going to be sadly disappointed. It's prayer to God, the Creator. Prayer to God. Nothing can be more sad than a Christian who worries about everything when he is to know 
You're supposed to know God's in control. It is the power behind our Christian life. Look at Mark chapter 9. This will be the last text we turn to. Mark chapter 9. Let me see if I can find this thing here. Come on, Lee. Yep, 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 yep. So this is after he came off, came off the mount. It's in a couple of different places in the Gospels. Um, and this is... Uh, let's see. Let me, I might back up, read this a little bit more in context. Um, uh, verse 17, I'll read. We can go back to 14. I'll start in 17. I'm going to read just a couple of verses of it, not all of it. And one of the multitude answered, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. So Christ heals him. And then let's pick it up later on now. So Christ does heal his son. Look at verse 28. When he was come into the house... His disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Now the point, there's a lot that we could preach on with that, but the point I simply want to draw from is, is it's one of the texts that we can see the importance of prayer in our life and giving some power to us, spiritually. That it's not going to be present without it. That there's something to it in that commune that we have with God. Where, where we're in that, that closer relationship with Him. And prayer is evidence of that. And, and we all know it. The very first thing that's going to be attacked. And that when you determine you're going to be faithful is going to be your prayer time. That's going to be attacked. You have to determine to stay faithful to it because it is, it is what allows us to go to God where, where our mind isn't filled with worries and cares. We're talking to the Creator. And you do have that peace that hits you. I've given it to him. He's in control. To knowing that you face things during the day, that you're walking with God. And he gives you the strength that you need for what you're going to face. So how is your prayer life? How's that going? Again, our Christian life is a direct life. That spiritual life is a direct result of our prayer life. That'll be attacked. So as we look through this, the autopsy, we see what gets attacked, of course, is our heart. That hard heart. Half of it was working. It was a heart of unbelief. It was killing the spiritual life. Then we went on and we saw, well, there's overall malnutrition. Because God's word wasn't permeating. It wasn't giving the nutrition that was needed. It was limited. And the spiritual life wasn't there. To the importance of prayer in our life. Listen, you put these simple things together. You put these simple things together. You know what happens? The bells start ringing. There's evidence of spiritual life in you. It's there with heads bowed and eyes closed. Now, this message certainly was directed to Christians, but perhaps you're struggling right now and you're not certain that if you're to die right now that you'd go to heaven. 
Think about that. If you're to die right now, where would you go? Because you will die and you will stand before God. He will judge you. Think about that. You will stand before the Creator. He will judge you. And the worst part is this. I'm not playing. This is, this is dead serious. You're guilty. When He judges you, you have broken His law. All of us have. Something has to take place when you stand before God where you look perfect. That's why Jesus Christ came to this earth. That's why God became a man to make you look perfect before Him. When He went to that cross, He took all of your sin. The reasons why God was going to judge you. He took it upon Himself and the Father judged Him so that He could give you that perfect life He lived. If you're here right now, say, Pastor, please, I need you to pray for me. I don't know that I'm going to heaven. I don't know that if I were to die right now that heaven is my home. Please pray for me. Would you just raise your hand let me see it real quick? Just put your hand up and let me see it. Anybody here like that? Hello. Just slide your hand up. If you put your hand up, I missed it. I need you to do it again. I just see some small children is all I'm seeing. All right. Christian, are the bells ringing? Are they ringing loud? Is there evidence of genuine spiritual life, of God working in your life? Of you being close to God. If there's something you need to come and pray about this evening, you come and pray. Father in heaven, bless this invitation, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Turn to page 174, and if you need to come and pray, you come and pray.